Yeah. All right. So let's turn in our Bibles. Turn in our Bibles uh, to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm excited to have you guys here with us as we continue on. Uh, We are going to pick up right where we left off um, last week. So if you would, we're going to start in verse number 13. Uh, start in verse number 13, we'll go through 14 to start us. So, do not present your members as sins, or to sin, as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And so, um, I want us to just stop here, because... Uh, there is um, there is this stigma about the Christian life at times that seems as though uh, I struggle or you struggle or I have heard the phrase I struggle uh, doing the same thing over and over and over again. Does anyone ever find themselves in that? Or have you ever found yourself in that like you struggled with one specific or a couple of specific things maybe for an extended period of time or maybe you're in here and you've been a Christian for years and you're like I still struggle Uh, with and then fill in the blank. Well, Paul gives us very clearly in Scripture a couple of ways, a couple of keys uh, to walking in freedom that Jesus won for us. And that very first one that he tells us is in verse number 13. He says, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. That's the very first key. And then the reason for this, Paul is saying, do not, do not present parts of your body to the service of sin, would be the, 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 a more simplistic way to say it. The, the New Living Translation, uh, I believe, communicates the idea well when it says, do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning, is the way the NLT reads it. So your, your members are the, the parts of your body. So your ears, your eyes, your, your mouth, your hands, your mind, and so forth. Do you guys remember that song they taught us in, in um, hopefully they taught most of us in children's ministry? Be careful little ears what you hear, right? Do you guys remember the song? Be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little feet where you go, right? It's the same concept. That song was, was uh, one that came right out of this portion of scripture. And so the idea for us is very practical. You have eyes, do not put them to the service of sin. You have ears, do not put them to the service of sin. But really, the, the word instruments here is better translated to our English word weapon. To our English word weapon. And it is as if to say the parts of our body are weapons for either righteousness or sinfulness. And so think about it this way. When parts of our body are given over to the leading of the Holy Spirit, our weapons are used for good. You guys following me so far? But if they are used in sinful ways, our weapons are then used for the works of Satan or the works of evil. And so when, when we think about it um, in, in a very, very easy way for us to understand, let's think about the life of David. King David from the Old Testament. His hands 
were used as weapons of righteousness when he killed Goliath as brought about and commanded by God. But what about if we advance a little bit further in his life? His eyes were used for unrighteousness when he looked upon Bathsheba. So he did something in in, in a way that glorified God and brought about a greater righteousness in that day. But he also did things that brought about sinfulness, destruction. And in this specific case, it led to the death of an infant. If you go back, Bathsheba got pregnant because of that encounter and God took their child from them because of their sinfulness. And so the very first key in winning our battle, not against, and I'm going to say something that may confuse some of us, but it's okay, I'll explain later. Um, We don't struggle with sin problems. We struggle with obedience problems. Okay? So as a Christian, we can't say, I struggle with sinfulness. No, 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 no. You struggle responding to what's true and what's right. And you choose, you choose to walk in sin. Okay, sin is not forcing you to do what you do. You choose to do what you do. And so we uh, need to walk in Christ or in the freedom that Christ provided. And the first, the first step, the key to doing that, the first key is not presenting our bodies as instruments or weapons of evil. But then he goes in to say that the second part or the second key to walking in freedom is to present yourself to God. Man, it's just one or maybe two verses in which he says, he's saying it's not enough to take the weapons away from the service of evil, but they have to be enlisted into the service of righteousness. They have to be. It isn't just stopping uh, this one thing. They have to be enlisted in in the warfare of God. You know, in, in war, the superior weapons of the countries in war are typically the ones that win the war. Typically. The one that has the superior weapons. And, and so are your, are your weapons superior in the mode of righteousness or of the works of Satan? Is a question that we have to ask ourselves. Uh, I, wanna, I want us to think about it. Um, I just completely lost my train of thought. Sorry guys. Uh, The idea of superior weapons and speaking about instruments or weapons of righteousness versus unrighteousness or or works of evil is really uh, similar to a manner in which the priests of the Old Testament uh, consecrated uh, the bodies to God. So sacrificial blood was applied to the priest's ear. It was applied to their thumb, and it was applied to their big toe, showing that those were all parts of the body, um, and many other parts as well, but they belonged to God, and they were used for His glory. We get the, the best description of this in Exodus chapter 29. And so he is saying to us, we must present ourselves to God as being alive from the dead. As being alive, now I'm not talking about zombie apocalypse stuff. Okay, Uh, being alive from the dead, meaning that the old man, like we talked about last week, has been crucified with Christ on the cross. And so the one that lives is now the new nature inside of me, the one that has the proclivity towards righteousness, the one that wants to use my my weapons 
for righteousness, for the glorification of God. Now, the first idea, or, or the first has the idea that all connection with the previous life, the old man, it has to be done away with, completely done away with, meaning that life is dead and it's completely gone. But then secondly, it carries with it this idea of obligation. And I need us to understand this. Uh, we have, and I'm going to use this term obligation because it speaks well to what Paul is trying to explain. We have an, obliga- an obligation because we owe everything to the one who gave everything to bring us new life. And so we have an obligation to use our instruments, our weapons, our body parts as tools that bring glory to God, not tools that essentially are the works of Satan, the antithesis of what the Christian life is about. And so um, I believe it was C.S. Lewis who said that the words of Paul here in Romans 7 give us a test, a promise, and an encouragement. The test is that if we claim to be Christians, we have to ask ourselves and examine our character and say, does anger have dominion over me? Does murmuring and complaining have dominion over me? Uh, Does covetousness, give me just a second, does covetousness have dominion over me? Does pride, does laziness, do those things have dominion over me? If sin has dominion over us, then we should seriously ask ourselves, are we really converted? Are we really converted? Yeah, go ahead. Yes. You want to care to enlighten those here as to what, in, what murmuring is? Yeah, I'm asking you though, because if, if he spoke to you in the way of murmuring, I'm. Murmuring is an aside, not directed to anyone or thing. Okay, did you guys hear that? Say it a little bit louder. And in our speech. Is, yep. And, and so uh, there is a promise. And the reason why I made the statement, if sin has dominion over us, we seriously need to consider whether or not we are converted. Why? Well, because the text is very clear that there is a promise of victory over sin in the life of a believer. That doesn't mean we become sinless, but that means the more that we follow in the footsteps of Christ, we will be sinning less. We will be sinning less. It does not say that sin will not be present in us. That's not what Paul said. But because that, that will only be fulfilled when? When is the, the sin complete? When are we completely sinless? When is that fulfilled? I'm sorry? Right, when we are with him, when we are standing in the presence of God in heaven. But it does promise us in the Bible that sin will not have dominion over us. Why? Because of the great work of Jesus. And he did that work specifically to give us the power to overcome our sin. If we go back and we read from last week, it said the old man is dead The old man was our sin nature that was given to us from Adam. And it says that it is dead. Now the man or the woman or the child or the teenager still has the works of the flesh that have been imprinted on by the sinful nature of man. 
But there is a promise in Scripture of victory because of the work of Christ. Now, yeah, go ahead. What do you mean? What is it that, what is, exactly what is it that you don't understand? Right. We shouldn't use our, our body as, as, as weapons, meaning that there should not be a lifestyle choice that undergirds the antithesis of the resurrection of Christ in our lives. So I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking about habitual sin. Yeah, go ahead and then Ken. Agreed. Correct. Correct. Sure. But that's not what I said. I said if sin has dominion over me, then I must ask the question, am I converted? I didn't say if I still struggled with sinful behavior in my life. I said if sin has dominion over me, as in I am totally encapsulated by sinfulness, that my life resembles more of Satan than it does of Jesus Christ. Scripture is never, Scripture is not easy. So I guess let me ask, then let me make this state. Go ahead, go ahead, and then I, I know we're over here. I think I can help with the question. Well, I need to answer from a scriptural standpoint. I need to answer that question, so go ahead. right here. What? This version uses control instead of the word dominion. I know what dominion means. But I wouldn't use the English word control because it's not an accurate depiction of what Paul was saying from the original writings. Correct. Go ahead.
I do, but I would. I would say, I would say, because we are all sinful people, our sin nature is always present. But there's a difference between between habitual lifestyles of sin and our sin nature that we sin in this way or that we did this this day and this day is a different those are vastly different things and the reason why i'm making these statements is because of something i said last week and then amy if you still and so the reason i i made i'm making this statement is because last week i i told us that oftentimes christians continue in captivity because we do not walk in the freedom that has been given to us through Jesus Christ. And so there are vastly different things to say, I am following after God and allowing God to change me, and I'm, I'm allowing the Word of God to saturate my mind. When my mind is changed, according to Scripture, when my mind is changed, my actions will follow. So if my mind is not changed about the truth of God's word, it will always follow my sin nature. I will always respond in my sin nature if my mind has not been changed according to truth. Solomon said it this way, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. If my, if my heart has been saturated on the statutes and commandments of God, David said the desires of my heart will be that align with what aligns with God, God's desires. But Jesus said, right, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus repeated what Solomon was inspired to write by God. Okay, so if we're allowing, if we're allowing constant flesh to feed flesh, well, what's going to come out of me? Flesh. If I'm, a, if I'm allowing, constantly allowing spirit to fill my thoughts and my mind, if I'm meditating on truth, am I going to be sinless? No. I will still have a sin nature. But I, I, according to Scripture, we have and can walk in a victory free of the bondage from things that once held the old man. If we don't believe that, then we don't believe that Christ's death on the cross, nor his burial, or his resurrection, or his ascension is good enough to cover our sin. And if that's the case, then I would question whether or not I'm saved. If I don't believe that Christ's payment was good enough, you're saying my thoughts about my sin are greater than God's thoughts through his son about my sin. That puts me in the place of God. That's saying that, that God is not powerful enough to rescue me. That's saying that God's not powerful enough to remove the stain and blemish of sinfulness. We can't, as Christians, if that's the mentality that we carry, then yes, I would seriously ask you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Seriously, if we do not believe that the power of God can loose the chains of bondage in one's life, then we don't understand Scripture. No, I'm, I'm just... No, no, no. I, but that... 
that, like I said, right? now that's where, I would, no, 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 I didn't think that was you. I'm, ju- I'm making this statement that if we are continuing on in a habitual lifestyle of the same sin that we were doing prior to salvation, yeah, I would have some serious concerns about whether or not I was saved. Amy. So, did you guys hear what she said? Whether our level of striving towards God or towards sin makes the difference right. So let's go back to what, what I just said and I'll answer, hopefully answer that question. So whatever we allow in to saturate our mind is what is going to come out of me. Right? It's going to come out of you. It's going to come out of you, 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 you. Right. So if my mind is, is saturated more in worldly or earthly pleasures making sure that I get, and I'm going to talk about this in the next chapter, in chapter 7, uh, sin, sin will always, 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 always promise satisfaction, but it's only temporal. It promises, and it makes promises to the flesh that it cannot keep. So if I'm constantly looking, or I'm spending more time looking uh, at at myself or my needs or my wants or well then what's going to happen well I'm going to chase after those things now if I'm looking more at God looking more at righteousness and I'm looking more to be a, a man or a woman or a teenager or a child of holiness well then what's bound to come out of us we're spending more time looking looking at God well what is going to come out of me that of the things of God yeah go ahead and then and then um Curtis. Sure. Yes, but no. I mean, I, I would not have gone to that portion of Scripture. Um, yes, Christ did say your faith has made you well. Um, he, did, he did say that, um, but that, 
there are many things that I could answer in response to that. I just not, I would not have used, that's, a very, that's not, for, in my opinion, that would not have been a portion of scripture that I would have gone to to explain what we're talking about because it, it, the power of God is what healed that woman. She, she had faith that he could, but it was the power of God who healed that woman. Um, it was not the woman. It was not the woman who healed herself. It was God who healed, healed the woman. And so, um, Curtis, and then, yep, and then, yep. Yeah. Okay. Right. Agreed. Yeah. So I agree with your statement after what I said. Right. Like he brings his mind to 
Right. Right. So, and we'll make this, and then we're going to move on from here. Sure. Agreed. God, God has not condemned the sinner because of sin. Uh, the one who's in Christ, the one who, who has, has received the gift of salvation, you haven't been condemned by God. You've been set free through his son. We, we've, been set, we've been set free. And, and we're going to mention this, I think, in the next chapter. Um, well, what did Jesus say to the people? Uh, if you know the truth, the truth is what sets you free. Uh, the, the, it should be an encouragement uh, to the Christian that's struggling with being obedient. It should be an encouragement for the new Christian who just come to know the Lord, who doesn't know their Bible. It should be an encouragement for the one who was walking in this direction and because of whatever situation is had now backslidden. It should be encouragement for us. Why? Paul said, because you're not under law, but you are under grace. Is exactly what he said. And so that is the path, the means by which we can live in freedom. It will never happen in a legalistic, performance-based lifestyle. Uh, it happens as we live not under law, but under grace. Law clearly defines God's standard, and it shows us where we fall short, but it cannot give us the freedom from sin that grace gives. Uh, remember Romans 5.21, last, last week, right? Grace reigns through righteousness. Grace reigns through righteousness. So grace, not law, it provides the freedom and the power to live over sin. It also shows again that a life that's truly lived under grace will be a righteous life. Church, I need us to understand grace is not a license to sin. Grace is not a license to sin. To, to, to treat grace or, or to treat being under grace as an excuse for continuing in sinfulness is a sign that one is not really under grace at all. Uh, the, the, the other way that, that describes the, the radical change in the life of someone who is born again is that very thought that I am completely under the power of God's grace. Completely. Do you know for the, the Jewish person uh, of Paul's day, living life under the law was everything. The law was the way to God's approval. It was the law, uh, the law was the way to eternal life. But Paul is saying that in light of the new covenant, we're not under law, but under grace. And his work in our life has to change every element of you. Uh, Paul answered his own question from the very beginning of the chapter. Why don't we just continue on habitual sin? Because grace is abounding. Why not? Why do we keep doing it? Well, because we're saved, Paul said. Because we're saved. We don't continue to do this. We don't live this lifestyle 
Because you've been saved. Because you've been saved, your sins have been forgiven. Grace has been extended to you by God. And so what do those things do? What happens in the life that's been saved by grace? What happens in the life that's been taken over by God and is now being led by the Holy Spirit? What happens to the old man being dead and the new man being given to the life? What happens to the one who's been forgiven? Well, your life looks radically different. It looks completely changed. I don't go and do the same things that I used to do. I don't go to those same places anymore. I don't drink the way I used to drink. I don't smoke the way I used to smoke. I don't, and then fill in the blank. I don't go and sleep around. I don't, I don't choose to allow myself to turn on the computer and type in those websites. I don't watch these types. Why? Why? Well, because your life is not under the control of the old man anymore. Your life is now under the control of the new man, which was given through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Which means that now, now, as Paul said, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Meaning that God himself dwells with inside of you. And in church, if you go back to the Old Testament, anything that happened in the temple that was out of place, the person was struck dead. Dead, right there. Gone. You know, the priests and the Levites used to wear bells on their clothing. And if they heard those bells jiggle, that means the person was dead. And they had a rope that was attached around their waist and they would pull them out. And then they would ask, oh, who's holy or worthy enough to step into the temple? Well, guess what? We don't have that temple anymore, but we are the temple now. We are the temple. And so if we, if we are living like our old man, if we're living in light uh, of our old self, then can we say that there's been remarkable change through salvation? Can we even talk about with other people about the work that God does through salvation if we don't look any different than what we did prior to salvation? No. No, we can't. It is incompatible for a new creation in Jesus to be comfortable in habitual sin. It's completely incompatible. Uh, a state of sin can only be temporary for the Christian. It can only be temporary. Uh, I believe uh, Spurgeon said that grace does not change my life, or the, the, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. And if we go over to First uh, John chapter three, one of my favorite, one of my favorite books of the Bible is is First, Second, and Third John. But in 1 John chapter 3, John makes that same exact statement. He said, whoever abides in God does not sin. And he was talking about habitual sin, a lifestyle of sinfulness. Whoever sins has neither seen God nor has experienced God is exactly what John says. Whoever has been born of God does not habitually sin for his seed remains in God and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. 1 John chapter 3, 6, 7, 8, and 9. Say that. Were you going to, someone had their hand up? 
the, the change, and I'm going to speak now to something that was already said. The change does not and may not all come at one time, and they, but, and they, may, they may not come to each area of your life at the same time. I think it was Kim and Carmen were saying the same exact thing uh, or similar in that, that realm, uh, but there will be real increasing changes in the life of one who has been radically changed by the gospel. Like God makes us safe for grace by changing us as we receive that grace. And so in light of that, he sets us free and then he equips us to live righteously for him. Like one, dead in sin, it is unthinkable to continue in our former practice of sin. I, I want you to think about it this, this way. Um, I, I love this time of the year between spring and summer, though it is not my favorite. One of my favorite parts about this time of the year and being here in Michigan, it's vastly different than Florida. In Florida, uh, we rarely see, or you would rarely see in the part of Florida where we lived, caterpillars. Uh, you just didn't. Um, if there were caterpillars present, they got eaten by the lizards. Um, but you never, you never hardly ever see in the part of Florida where we lived uh, a caterpillar that transformed into a butterfly. Hardly ever. It was a rarity. Um, and at our house, we have next to our garage probably uh, a four foot tall uh, milkweed plant. And initially my wife was going to cut it down and I was like, don't you dare because that will attract monarch butterflies and monarch butterflies are my favorite. And we saw, we just saw the other day, um, a butterfly coming out of the cocoon that was attached to that milkweed plant. And it was a lesson that I was like, oh, I have to take this when discussing this very part because there's something crucial here for us to know. Once a caterpillar goes through the life change, the transformation from a caterpillar into a butterfly, the butterfly has no business crawling back into the cocoon that's on the tree. It couldn't. There's no way for it to fit. And why? The life change has already occurred. And so now it's a new creation through the transformation process. And so the believer who's living under grace but still has the, the problem with being obedient being obedient or has the problem of occasional sin, well, then a new question is then asked. A new question is asked, well, shall we sin occasionally because we're not under law but under grace? Paul is no longer looking at just habitual sin. Should we just continue in sin lest grace would abound? But now it's like, should we occasionally sin? And what happens there? So look with me at verse number 15. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means, he says. Paul is convinced that a lifestyle of habitual sin is not compatible with one whose life is changed by grace. But what about the occasional sin, Paul is saying? What about that? Well, if we're under grace and not of law, must we be so concerned about the little sins here and there in one's life? Well, again, again, the verb tense here is important for us. The ancient Greek word sin here is important because it's what I would call the aorist active tense. 
The aorist, now I'm going to explain because some of you are like, what? It, it indicates that dabbling in sin, not, not continual habitual sin, but dabbling in sin. That's, that's what was being described here. Uh, this one verse speaks, uh, a chapter, sorry, verse 1 speaks of habitual sin. But here in 15, we're referring to single acts of sin. Single acts of sin. It's a little bit different than what he's questioning, but he still said by no means. By no means. Meaning, just because you're under grace doesn't mean like, well, I can sin a little bit over here. And I, I can sin a little bit over here. Now, it's, o- it's okay if, if I let my eyes stare at that lady or on that guy a little bit longer. It's okay for me to have inappropriate thoughts. It's okay, right, that's what he's talking about. The choice to just be like, it, it's, it's little. I only did it once this week. So what happens then? What are, what are the spiritual principles that we need to understand in order to answer the questions? So I want you to now look with me at verse number 16. So he says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you have committed. So whatever it is that you present yourself to obey, you become its slave. For example, if I obey my appetite constantly, I am a slave to my appetite. So we have a choice in our slavery. Sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. One way or the other, we will serve somebody. Not something, but somebody. We will either serve God or we will serve self. Those are the only two choices. And the option to live our life without serving either sin or obedience is not even open to us. It's not open to us. Paul puts it in the past tense because we have been freed from the slavery of sin. So he also says that we've been set free by faith, which describes us as having obedience from the heart. And so faith is put in God's word, which he describes as that form of doctrine. So I, I just want to kind of throw this out there. The, the point is very clear from scripture that when you put your faith in God and his word, you are set free and now live every day consistently in that freedom is, is what we see. And so if we look back to the earlier parts of Romans chapter 6, we can be legally free and still choose to live as a prisoner. If we go back to what we discussed last week, but Paul made a simple command and an encouragement for the Christian, be what you are, is what Paul said, be what you are. Now, I don't mean that in the sense that our culture takes it, and they're like, just do you, just do you, bro. That's not biblical at all, Uh, so please don't don't follow that. Uh, Look with me at verse 18, because why not then occasionally sin? Because Paul is now going to say sin is not, is not our master. We no longer serve it. So look at verse number 18. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Wait, so what does it mean to be set free from sin and to become a slave of righteousness? Then sin only gives you temporary satisfaction. Yeah, 
Agreed. Sin only gives temporary. So, yeah, what, what does it mean to be free from sin and to become a slave of righteousness? Laura. Yes. Right. It means sin is no longer your master. He's no longer your boss in the light. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. Yes, God's will be done. Yeah, go ahead. Unless you were not done. Yes. Right. Righteousness is now the boss of the believer, is now the master of the believer instead of sin. So it isn't right to think about pleasing your old boss when you changed jobs. It's not. If you changed jobs, you don't show up to your new job thinking, how can I please the boss that I just left from the other company? That's not what you think. You think, how can I please my current, my current boss? So, so what does it mean to be a slave? I mean, is a slave more than just an employee of God? I mean, noted Greek scholar uh, Kenneth Wee said this uh, about, about the word slave, um, to be a slave He said, one that is born into the condition of slavery. He said, one whose will is swallowed up by the will of another. One who is bound to the master with bonds that only death can break. One who serves his master to the regard of his own interests. And the following was once true in regards to slavery to sin, was it not? We were born as slaves to sin. We were born, and our will was swallowed up and captive to the sin within us, and our bondage to sin was so strong that only death, and in this case, spiritual death, with Christ on the cross could break the bondage of sin in our lives. So we are so enslaved that we served our sin to the disregard of our own interest, even when sin was destroying us. But now, now the following is true about uh, our slavery to righteousness. When we are born again, we now become slaves of righteousness. Our will is, is now swallowed up, not by the will of sin, but by the will of God. And it is His will that matters to us, not our own. We're then bound to Jesus with bonds that only death can break. But since He triumphed, over death, and he's given eternal life, those bonds can never be broken. And now we willingly choose to serve Jesus with no disregard to our own, or with, with no regard to our own interests, is how it should be. And that means that we never have to choose to sin. We don't have to. Go ahead. Agreed.
Yeah, I mean, now that as a, as a believer, he is he is indwelt within us. Yes. Hopefully, I'll address some of that in the next chapter, in chapter number seven. Did you? Yeah, go ahead. I think I can help you get it cleared up. You need to be qualified. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, civil war was a war here, and we've only been around for three hundred years. Slavery. We, we will see that sin is inevitable until our flesh is resurrected in glory. It isn't because God has designed a system by which we must sin. Uh, because sinless perfection in this body, in this earthly body, is an illusion. Uh, but John, 1 John 1.8 says that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so we know that in the power of Jesus, we can resist the next temptation. And that is what Jesus wants us to be concerned with. And so because of the frailty of man, the Christian at infrequent intervals does yield to the evil nature of sinfulness. But to, to the point, but the point is that God has no or has so constituted man that he doesn't need to yield to sinfulness. But yet we still choose to. We still choose to. So then how then it poses the question, how do we keep from enslaving ourselves? How do we keep from enslavement? Well, look at the last couple of verses of this chapter. He says in verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is what? Eternal life. And he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the Apostle Paul apologized for using slavery as an illustration. He apologized here because it was very degrading and it was very pervasive in that time, especially because many of his Roman readers were slaves themselves. 
And so he's saying, he's, he's saying, uh, this I knew was still accurate and meaningful in its illustration. And so Paul repeats a point that he made earlier on in the chapter. He says, present your members as slaves of righteousness, not slaves of evil. And so this means that we don't show up for work, like I said earlier, to our old boss, or don't show up for our new job to work for our old boss. Uh, imagine you, you show up a new job on your very first day on that new job, you leave work at lunchtime and you go to your old job and you ask your boss, when you come back from lunch, what do you want me to do? You wouldn't do it. Why? It's just not right. And so Paul describes a principle that's ingrained in our human nature, and he's saying lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. If you sin and you choose to sin, it's going to lead to more, to more sin. But he said righteousness leads to holiness, which is more righteousness. Uh, and the, the, this is describing the dynamic power of our habits and how we move along in the direction in which we point ourselves. And so I want us to think for a moment of four trees in a row, four massive trees. And in the, the, first, the first tree is at one year of growth. And the second tree is at five years of growth. And the third tree is at 10 years of growth. And the last one is at 15 years of growth. And so you have trees at different life stages. Which tree would be the most difficult to pull out of the ground? Right, the one who had been stable and in place for 15 years. The longer that we are rooted in a behavior, the harder it will be to uproot a behavior. And the principle works both for righteousness as well as it does for evil. Or, or the antithesis of the word of God. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards of righteousness. So Paul almost points out something that's humorous. Like when we're slaves of sin, we were free, all right. We were free in regards to righteousness, and that's some freedom. At least that's what our culture says, is some freedom. But what fruit, but what fruit did you have, Paul said? To walk in victory over sin, we must think rightly about the fruit of sin. So to say the end of those things brings death means that the end product of sin is death. And that's not fun. It's not. But the end fruit, the end fruit of, of righteousness is what? Everlasting life. You know, in a time of, of temptation, these truths can almost seem unreal to the believer. And so we have to rely upon the Word of God. We have to. And when we're tempted, the Word of God reminds us of the bitter fruit of sin when our feelings may forget that bitter fruit. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So when you work for sin, your wages, the things that you make back, are death. That's what you get back. Every sinner earns that by long and sore and painful service. And, and I wonder what pains 
do men take to get to hell? What pains? In answering his question in verse number 15, Paul has made it very clear that as believers, we have a change of ownership. The Christian has to fight against even occasional sin because we need to work for and work under our new master. It's not appropriate for us to work for the old master. When we serve God, we get no pay, but he freely gives us the best benefits package of all time. One that is unimaginable in our finite minds, and that's eternal life. Absolutely, absolutely. So I have a question that I, go ahead, go ahead, and then I, I have a question for us, not to respond out loud to, but to think about.
Thank you for, for sharing that. I appreciate your transparency, especially for the group. It's, it's good. Yeah, I, someone had their hand. Was it Laura? Give me just a second and I'll... Um, you know, it's good in, uh, in the church body uh, to hear from your brothers and sisters uh, that have had to walk, uh, that have had to walk through or are walking through currently uh, things in their lives. One, um, it should drive us as a church uh, to pray uh, for and with people in our church body. Um, but it also helps us, especially those who may be walking through something similar to those situations, uh, to be comforted uh, by the same comfort that those individuals received when they were walking through uh, whatever situation it is. And so I I appreciate your, your candor and your candidness um, in, in sharing. Yeah, go ahead, Laura. Sure. I mean, statistically speaking, uh, they say that Christianity is less than two generations from being extinct here in America. Two generations. So that means my, my children's children. Um, and maybe maybe my great grandchildren um, at that um, two generations away unless something changes and uh, I love the word that you used um, you use the word confusion there's so much confusion well we know that the author of confusion is not God we know that um, Paul told Timothy um, what does God give uh, he gives us power for love um, and what? A sound mind. Um, a sound mind. And um, back to something that someone was saying earlier, right? We, we know that one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And if we are not displaying self-control, if we're not displaying one as a believer who has a sound mind, then we are not being led by the Holy Spirit. We're not. And for us, uh, Paul was saying, uh, do not present your members as weapons of unrighteousness or yeah, of unrighteousness or evil. And in, in that sake, he's or in that vein, he's saying that if you walk in step with the Holy Spirit, your members will not be used for unrighteousness. You'll be used as as members of righteousness. Your eyes, your mouth, your hands, your feet. Uh, will be used uh, by God for the glory of God. So 
I want to end, we're going to, I'm going to ask a question that I, I want only for you to think about. Um, I want, if you are a note taker, I would like for you to write it down. It's going to hit the screens and I'm going to leave it up there for a few minutes. It's a question I believe that we should all ask ourselves. We should ask the Lord uh, this question um, and have and ask of him to reveal um, these things to us. And the question is this, how, how do you personally, I'm not talking about in a generic sense, um, not like how does your neighbor or how does your spouse or your child, how do you present yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness? Personally, in your life, from day to day, how do you present yourself as an instrument of righteousness to God? Tonight, I'm not going to dive into chapter 7 at all. Um, it's too much for us to kind of work through uh, this evening. And um, there will probably be a lot of questions that come um, in it. And that's perfectly fine. Uh, I just don't want to go any further because we won't be able to get too far into it. So I'm going to dismiss us here in just a moment um, earlier than what we normally do. So you guys can go home and say hooray. Um, for getting out a little bit early. Uh, but I, I have two things that I want to share with us. Um, last week, um, in, in here, I believe it was last week. It may have been the week prior. My weeks are kind of all running together at the moment. Um, but there were two topics that got talked about um, that seemed to have the most amount of questions. Uh, one of them was, uh, the topic of the age of accountability, and the other was the topic of baptism. And um, I went home that night and um, extensively spoke with my wife, uh, like probably two and a half or three hours uh, that evening, talked with my wife about those two topics, and uh, we began to seek the Lord as to what He uh, would like for me to do so that I could bring some more clarity to those topics. And, and help uh, our church to better understand what Scripture says about those two things. And so um, something that we are going to be doing down the road, um, I don't have a time frame on it yet, uh, we are going to be I'm going to be launching a podcast here for the church where I'm going to um, answer questions like that that I don't have the time to unpack here uh, from the platform or on a Wednesday night. Um, and they will be uploaded to Facebook as well as our church website when we get there. Um, but because I'm not launching that just yet, I'm not prepared to do so. Um, I have spent a good portion of uh, the week last weekend and um, a good portion of the beginning of this week putting together two, uh, two pieces uh, for us as a church body. Um, and I'm, I'm asking if, if you are willing and or want to know more, I have a piece that I wrote on baptism, on biblical baptism, and I have a piece I wrote on the age of accountability. Uh, these are two things that are taken directly 
um, from what God has laid on my heart and what I've studied a, a, a little deeper in Scripture to hopefully explain um, a little more succinctly uh, to us on both of those topics. Um, it, you don't have to. I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to take one in order to walk out the doors or anything like that. Uh, what I am saying is that they are available, um, and I would request of you as your pastor um, that um, if, if you feel ever so led um, to please come and see me after, and I will give I will give them to you. I'm asking if we could just take one uh, per family, um, and you do not have to return it to me. Um, I have I have a printed copy for myself as well as a digital copy, um, and so you can take it home. You can write on it. Um, you can me- you can message me on Facebook and ask me questions um, about the things that I said. Um, and I, but I hope that I expounded enough uh, to answer uh, to answer both topics. Uh, the age of accountability is um, shorter. It's like half. Uh, the, the content of the other um, uh, on baptism. So they are available um, to you. If you have questions, um, I'll be around. Outside of that, I love you guys. Um, you guys uh, can get out of here. I hope to see you guys Sunday uh, for my mom and dad's um,